This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Brame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And we want to encourage you guys to go check us out on DuckTerritory.com. You can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com for as low as $1. $1 is all it takes to get into the door. I uh, highly encourage you guys to go check that out. We're seeing lots and lots of people uh, signing up and joining the site, so don't get left out. Eric, let's recap now this. I, I don't even know. Like, I, I've called it thrilling. I've called it walk-off. Um, just a crazy football game between Oregon and Washington State. This past Saturday night at Autzen Stadium, the Ducks win 37 to 35 in a football game that looked with a minute and 20 seconds to go in the football game. It was, they are going to dodge a huge bullet. It's fourth and goal. And if Washington, if Oregon can just get one more stop, they are going to win this football game. And Washington State then scores a touchdown on fourth down with a minute to play in the football game. And it looks like, oh, my God, Oregon is going to let this game slip through their fingers after leading by, what was it, 11 points at uh, one point in the fourth quarter. Yep. And yet Justin Herbert engineered his second straight comeback victory, this one in the final minute of a football game that caps off with – Freshman Camden Lewis kicking a 26-yard field goal as time hits triple zeros, goes through the uprights, Oregon walks away 37-35, to and the Ducks are 7-1, 5-0 in Pac-12 play, and they are back in the top 10. Yeah, I don't know what the right word choice is, but it was certainly thrilling, certainly exciting. Oregon certainly won in walk-off fashion, and that fourth quarter uh, – there were three touchdowns and two field goals kicked in that quarter. Three lead changes, I guess, if you will, in the last, I don't know, a minute and 15 seconds there because Oregon led and Washington State led and Oregon leads to win. I mean, it was just back and forth and so many so many heroes, so many people to, to talk about in, in terms of their impact in this game. Uh, you know, and I, and I think... I don't know where we I don't know where we want to start, but I think it's worth starting with the fact that we now have, we know Oregon has a competent kicker. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know that we didn't know that coming in. And we frankly, were asked that on the podcast last week of what our confidence was in, in Oregon trotting out Camden Lewis and winning a football game, and I think you and I both said that there was not a lot of, of, of confidence. And if that situation played out, that Oregon would win this football game. And yeah, look, he, he hit a chip shot. Like he did what he was supposed to do. And if, if he can't make that field goal, then Oregon's got really big issues on their hands. Now I think he hit a 30 yard field goal in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. That was 
probably more of uh, a clutch kick than his game winner. And then the one that probably really got him going was Oregon's first score of the game when he made the 40-yarder with three minutes and 11 seconds to play in, in the first quarter. So, yeah, I mean, like, he made three kicks, and, and your, I think your outside perspective of Camden Lewis now is is that he can he can win you games. I'm going to be really curious to see if we see a bit of an uptick in, in I guess, you know, giving him opportunities because it, it did feel like at times leading up to this game that they were pretty cautious in terms of, well, it's going to be about a 36-yard field goal. Maybe we should go for it. Or even in this game, uh, well, it would be about a 50-yard field goal. Let's punt. Um, and that's probably something we should talk about at, at some point, too. I think that was an interesting moment and, and probably deserves some discussion. But um, certainly, you know, you, you've got somebody who, who can make a field goal, which is a nice feeling. I don't think Oregon fans knew that entirely coming in. But credit to Cameron Lewis. And you ran down the three kicks. But, yeah, again, not for ma- just making that game winner, but Oregon doesn't win this game if he misses any of the other field goals. Or they certainly are win it in a different fashion because – they're not able to kick a 26-yard chip shot uh, as time expires if he misses any of those previous kicks because those are kicks that would be, you know, he wouldn't be kicking to win the football game um, if he'd missed that 40-yarder or if he'd missed that 30-yarder. Um, so, you know, he, he set Oregon up for success by being consistent and making three kicks in this game. I hope that doesn't get lost on on the casual fan that it wasn't just the game winner. It was the fact that he made – you know, two other kicks earlier in the game to set this up for Oregon. And uh, a lot of credit to him. Uh, you know, he's a true freshman. I think we got a lot of people asking if they continue to recruit kickers. And it's like, look, <laughs> the guy's barely, he hasn't played, a, you know, to that, at that point, he hadn't even played a half a season of college football yet. Uh, a little early to kind of throw in the towel and say, ah, this isn't going to work out, I think. And, and he's proven that, you know what, he's a true freshman. He might, you might look, be looking at Oregon's kicker for the next three years. And if this is just, a, you know, the start, uh, of of him, uh, you know, kicking at a high level, Oregon might have an actual weapon here. And I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves again. The longest kick he's made is 40 yards. That's not exactly, you know, somebody who's going to win, what is it, the Ray Guy Award with that kind of distance. But certainly a good place to start for him to get some confidence. And he's now made five kicks in a row, we should mention, after missing his first three. So something has clicked there. Um, and, and going forward, you know, you, at least you have some confidence he can go out there and make some kicks for you. So I, I would be curious to see now if we get into, like, where's the range for, for him now? Has it changed in the coach's perspective? Like, is it going to be a thing where once they get into, like, you know, the 25-yard line, are they going to be, okay, this is within his range and we don't necessarily have to go for it because it has felt like they get to a certain part of the field and it's like, uh-oh, well, I don't know. I don't know if he, I don't know if he can make this one. I think we got to go for it here or, or maybe we're going to punt it like we saw them do, but. I just kind of wonder if that changes a little bit now that we've seen him split the uprights five straight times. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point, and I hadn't considered that. Of does a does a working get more open to the idea of of kicking field goals now that he's made five straight? And you're right. What's what is his range? What what's the comfort level? Is it forty and in? And anything out outside of that, they 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 kick. Um, we do know, I mean, crystal ball in that, in that game, Oregon's second to last drive of, of the football game, right? It ended with Oregon punting. Yep. At their own 30, at, at Washington State's own 33 yard line. I mean, I was shocked that they did that. 
I, I could not believe that they punted at the 33 and it came back and bit them. I mean, you could argue that, you know, they made them drive the length of the football field. They went 90 yards, but at the same time, that was not, I, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it's a decision that's not going to get criticized as much because Oregon won the football game. Um, but nonetheless, it was, a, it was an interesting move by, by Mario and, you know, you know, lucky for the Ducks, it, it, it didn't cost them the football game. What one thought on, on the length here. I, I knew I talked to Camden before the season at Oregon's media day back in July. He said his long in high school was 52 yards and he believed his range, um, would be about 55 yards. He actually said he made a 70 yarder, but there was what he called a hurricane at his back. So. Uh, a, a little bit of history. <laughs> I hope it wasn't an actual hurricane. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it is North Carolina. Maybe, maybe it was. Uh, but uh, so that gives you a little perspective in terms of what his range coming in was. I, again, I don't think I'd be shocked if we see him kick a 55 yarder, unless it's like the last play of the half or something like that. You know, and they're at the 35, and they're like, I guess let's give it a shot and see what happens, type of thing. But uh, the, uh just a, a final thought there in terms of his range. It sounds like. Uh, they're, they're comfortable with him kicking, or he was comfortable in high school, at least kicking out to somewhere in the 50 range. I don't know if we'll see that at Oregon, but certainly another element there. And uh, to your to your point about the conservative nature there, uh, I think you should talk about that for a moment because that that was a situation where if they do pick up a first down there, like the game is game's is over, pretty much over, and they chose not to. And I don't I don't know. I, I think that's that was a pretty Pretty interesting decision. I don't know if you would expect Oregon to necessarily go about doing things that way. And, uh, you know, it was going to be what, fourth and six? That's within the range that you could convert that. And the, the difference in yardage was 23 yards. It was a 23 yard punt for Blake Maimon, which probably screws up his average a little bit. I'm sure he's not thrilled with, in terms of the statistic, he's probably not thrilled with that punt distance, but. Was it was it worth it there? Was 23 yards worth it there? Because if you do pick up the first down, uh, you give your chance yourself a, basically a chance to win the game. Uh, so yeah, it was it was third and six. Oregon just completed a pass to Micah Pittman for two yards on second down. So it was third and six at the Washington State 33, and they ran like a swing screen pass to C.J. Verdell to the left side of the line. Shocker! Yeah. Uh, and Herbert just flat out. Missed him. I mean, threw it a little high. I mean, you could argue that Verdell probably should have still caught it, but it was a bad throw by Herbert, and it was an easy throw. And he he might have scored. Uh, you know, lot, seeing the lot, convoy, a lot of room. Yeah, yeah, room seeing the, the guys he had blocking for him, the lack of bodies in front of him, uh, and where he was angled at. I mean, he might have scored, and that that might have put the game away because at that point. It was 34-28 with, uh, what was that? About Two, three five, minutes and six yeah. seconds to go in, exactly. in, in the game. And he scores and now all of a sudden you could go for, you, you could go for two. Cause even if you don't get it, you're still up 12. Uh, well, but mean, if you even, go for even, two with three minutes, you're up two, 14 points. But even if you don't score and you just pick up the first down there, which is, I think I mean, that's almost a sure thing based upon the space in front. Let's say he gets to the 25-yard line. Let's say he just gets eight yards and gets out of bounds or something. You you now have a fresh set of downs with about three minutes to play in position to kick a field goal, and the field goal would make you go up nine. So 
Yeah, that, and that, Washington that, State had had a couple timeouts, but I think they were all they had maybe one, one or two. No, I I, I think I, they they might have not have had a time. I'd have to go back and look, and I wish it, the timeouts were recorded in here, but they, they did not have very many timeouts because they used one, I think, on a previous Oregon drive to try right. to. Let me see if I can figure out how many timeouts they used here because they used. Yeah, they'd already used they had, they had one timeout on that final drive. That's what it was. So yeah, no, they did not have a whole lot of <laughs> flexibility there. So yeah, I, I mean, it would have been a situation where like, yeah, you could have. They would have. I don't know. We're talking hypothetical. We should, there's a lot of other things we should talk about, but I, I think it is interesting and it is something to kind of. If you're an Oregon fan, it, you know what? What did you think of that? Just those listening, you can comment in, on the message boards or on social media. Maybe ask about it in our mailbag Wednesday or give us an answer to that because it was an interesting decision and. Uh, Oregon ends up winning this football game, but I, I can't help but think if they would have gone and picked that up, uh, then they, then they would the game would have been over basically. And if they would have gone and not picked it up, I don't know if 23 yards necessarily changes too much. Uh, you know, or maybe Oregon gets the ball back with a little bit more time, or maybe things go completely differently. You just never know, you know, in a f- football game. But certainly a really a really interesting element of the game and something that I think is easy to overlook, but a decision that was. I think surprising and a little bit perplexing. We should also, on a positive note, really hammer home the impact Juwan Johnson had uh, in this football game, in particular the last drive for Oregon. You know, he he caught a 15-yarder for a first down to uh, get the ball to the Washington State 33 with 34 seconds left. Cougars burned the timeout on that play, their last one, probably an effort to try and save clock and see if they could make another run at a comeback. Uh, and then he comp- he caught another one, a screen pass from Justin Herbert of the 24-yard nature, and one in which I thought he was gone. I thought he was going to score. Yeah. I thought he was going to go all 33. He gets tackled at the Washington State nine-yard line. And I think we should also acknowledge the fact that play – is very very impressive. One because of his his speed and explosion and all that. Mm-hmm. But he got uh, he got past the Washington State defense, and in that situation, you don't know when the defender is coming. And he got tackled, and that defender tried to knock the football out. Yep. And if that ball comes <laughs> loose, game over. You lose. You're not going to win. There's no there's not enough time for for Oregon to come back and win the football game. And he held on not knowing when and where the defender was coming from to knock the ball out. Here's another just hypothetical. Would you have liked him to score there? Because I don't know if you wanted him to score, because if he scores, you give Washington State the ball back uh, with, what, about 30 seconds to play? Uh, and with the way Oregon had defended Washington State's pass attack, like, that could have been a way to, you know, you go – that would have been even worse maybe. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm – being overcritical of Oregon's secondary in this game or just Oregon's defense as a whole, because I, I did think there were some positive things, but Oregon had a really hard time slowing down, watch, you know, Anthony Gordon all day, and I don't know if you wanted to give them the football back period. I think you felt pretty good just finishing the game with, with the opportunity to score without giving them the ball back, because look, it just didn't seem like there was ever a, a stretch of this game where you felt good about slowing them down, you know, outside of a couple turnovers, and there were, I think, maybe one or two three and outs. There just weren't a lot of situations where Washington State didn't do basically whatever it wanted to do. So uh, that was a critical sequence. And we should say, I mean, it, you love the fact that 
it's been an up and down year for Jawan Johnson. I mean, transfers from Penn State, expected to be a huge part of this offense, gets hurt right before the opening game of the season, misses the first third of the season due to injury, comes back, doesn't really have much of a role in his first group of games, and then with the with the game on the line against Washington State, you know, comes through, you know, a couple different times. I think he also had uh, a catch on a previous drive in the fourth quarter to set up. I forget if it was a touchdown or a field goal. So. Uh, a big game from him. Good to see weapons, you know, starting to kind of arise in the passing game. The last couple of weeks we've seen a lot of Micah Pittman, but not a whole lot of Jawan Johnson. You know, kind of seeing all of these weapons come together. And we should say Spencer Webb, I think another guy that deserves at least a couple of words. Yes. You know. Uh Once again, three catches, 42 yards. Each catch was for a first down. Um, he had one of those catches on that scoring drive, like you mentioned earlier. I think it was like a seven or eight yard catch for a first down after – uh, Verdell had a, a screen pass. He's becoming, he's not Jacob Breland. That's unfair to expect. Jacob Breland's a senior who's going to go off and maybe get taken, you know, in the first three or four rounds of the NFL draft, depending on how he rehabs. Uh, but Spencer Webb is a freshman who has a, a really, really high ceiling as a pass receiving tight end. And you have to be happy with the fact that he's starting to get involved because there were questions about Look, are, are they going to utilize the tight end very much? And we'd already said between Campmeyer and Bay, those guys are primarily blocking guys. Like their history is not as pass catchers and it kind of remains to be seen if they can do that very much. And neither guy has a catch the last two weeks since Breland's been out, but Webb now has, I think five catches and I know he had a touchdown against Washington State. So he, six he catches started, in the last seven games for, for Spencer Webb. Yeah. So he's starting, he's starting to make some plays. He's starting to kind of round into form here. And I think down the stretch of the season, I think there's a potential for him to continue to become kind of that favorite guy. I mean, he's probably going to be running, I shouldn't say the favorite guy, but become a, a valuable part of this weapon, an even more valuable part, because he's running. He's going to be running a lot of the similar routes that Jacob Breland ran, and that gives him an opportunity to be in similar spots of the field where, where Herbert clearly was very comfortable throwing to Breland. Now you've got uh, another player with similar measurable, similar you know catch radius, et cetera, and Spencer Webb, I think you have to be happy with, with those developments because it really was a big question mark, at least for me, after you lose Breland, who'd been Herbert's favorite guy. Still, tech, you know, if you look at it, Breland is still leading the team in receiving yards and he hasn't played the last two games. That speaks to how dynamic he was before the injury went down. So getting some production from the tight end spot, I think is, is definitely notable and, and good on Spencer Webb for moving between a couple spots and, and, and being a, a capable and valuable part of this offense. Yeah, real thing, real quick on Webb. Uh, five catches, 73 yards, and a touchdown in his last two games uh, for the Ducks. And most notably, though, of that, all five catches resulted in first downs, mm-hmm. including one on the game-winning drive against Washington State. So yeah. you're right. Yeah, you're, you're, getting, you're getting good production out of a guy that – Quite honestly, coming into the year, there wasn't probably a lot of expectations for him to, you know, be a key guy. And then, well, uh, yeah, I mean, he was like, you could, you could argue he was considered like the fourth or fifth tight end. Yeah. If, if McCormick and Breland are healthy, he's no better than third and Camp Moyer and Bay were already considered, you know, like, I don't think there was much expectation, at least from us, that Webb was going to be much more than anything, you know, more than like maybe a, a kind of a garbage time guy. So, I mean, this is, this is big to get that kind of production. Run game, CJ Verdell, uh, once again had a really good game for Oregon. Uh, finished with 257 yards rushing on 23 carries, three touchdowns. He also added 56 receiving yards on four catches, which totals out to 313 yards from scrimmage on just 27 touches. 
His 20, 257 rushing yards ranks uh, tied for fourth most all-time in school history and is the most ever by an Oregon Duck in Autzen Stadium history. Uh, his rushing total is the third best performance of the season at the FBS level. He's one of just two players in the FBS this season to rush for over 250 yards and three touchdowns in a single game. First duck to go for over 200 since Royce Freeman did it in 2016. Uh, first Oregon duck to run for over 200 and score three touchdowns since Kenyon Barner in 2012. Uh, his 89-yard touchdown run in the first quarter was the fourth longest run in program history. Uh, the longest since DeAnthony Thomas's 91 yards uh, against Wisconsin in the 2012 Rose Bowl. Uh, and he ran for first downs on 10 of his 23 carries in that football game. Um, I did an interview with Pac-12 Network on Monday morning. Um, and Mike Yam asked me a really good question of a couple weeks ago, there was a lot of talk of what's wrong with the run game. What is wrong with CJ Verdell? And since that time, I want to say two or three weeks ago, We've seen Verdell produce 10 carries and 46 yards against California. He got hurt, didn't play in the second half. Following week against Colorado, 14 carries, 171 yards. Against Washington, 11 carries, 48 yards, didn't play in the second half because of an injury. And then against Washington State now, 23 carries, 257 yards, three touchdowns. And on the season, he has 753 yards a 6.7 average per carry, and his tops in the Pac-12 for rushing yards. Yeah, who saw that coming? Who saw Verdell being the leader in rushing eight weeks in after the way he started this season? Um, and I think another component is this. He didn't start the game. Yeah. <laughs> Cyrus, and, and the crowd cheered for Cyrus Habibilikio, and they should have. I shouldn't say, I mean, I, I shouldn't say that, that. And that wasn't necessarily in response to him starting over Verdell, but people were really excited about Cyrus, and they should have been after how he ran the second half against Washington. And we talked on this podcast last week at times about like this job feels like it's kind of up in the air between you know these three guys and like who's going to really kind of step up and take ownership of it. And I don't think there's any question after a performance like that that it's going to be CJ. Um, you know, he again he doesn't start the game. I think he comes in on like the second or third play um, from scrimmage. I forget which one. But he just, he ran balls to the wall all game. He ran hard all game. He had a lot of open holes to run through. Uh, and, you know, that 89 yard touchdown, I've seen a couple different angles on that. A lot of guys deserve credit for the blocking there. They, you know, the whole left side of the line, Hunter Camp Moyer basically seals the, the opposing defensive tackle or nose guard. Jawan Johnson takes out a linebacker and a safety at the same time. And, and he, you know, CJ is basically running a straight line sprint for 89 yards and, you know, n- nobody's going to catch him you know, with kind of the speed he has there. So uh, I was really, I think you have to be really impressed with what you, what you saw from CJ Verdell in a game where look, the talk all week was that, man, maybe Cyrus Abibiliko is the better back. Maybe he's the player that Oregon should be focusing its running game around. And I don't necessarily think that was wrong thinking because of what we'd seen in the second half against Washington. And because Verdell's health, we, we didn't necessarily know coming into this week if Verdell was going to be available for this game. We should mention that too. I mean, he didn't play, uh, in the second half against Washington because, uh, you know, of some injuries he's kind of dealing with. So uh, I don't think there's any question. I think he, he's kind of put all questions about who the team's lead back is. Uh, he's put those to rest with this performance. And 
And frankly, uh, I think you have to be really excited about what he could do against USC on the road here. I know, I know I haven't looked at the, the stats this week in terms of where they rank, but coming, USC was ranked 11th in the Pac-12 entering last week against the run. They were actually worse than Washington State in that, st- that statistic. So, um, this is another week where maybe Verdell has another huge game. I don't know if we're expecting another 257-yard game, but certainly opportunity for him to be utilized at a high level once again. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrified. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Law. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Diving deeper into Oregon's 37-35 victory over Washington State over the weekend while also looking maybe a little bit ahead to this weekend's game on the road in the Coliseum against the USC Trojans, which Eric and I will both be at. Let's go back to Washington State, though. Um, this team has given Oregon nightmares yeah. for, for, for five straight years. I mean, you could, you could argue since 2000, even in 2014, I mean, Oregon's, Oregon's the, the year they went and played the national championship. I mean, they, you could argue they should have lost that game up in Pullman, um, with how they play. They barely eked out that win. For whatever reason, this Cougar team has just given this football program nightmares, and it almost popped up again uh, this past weekend. I just think it's so hard to defend what Washington State does offensively, and I thought it was a good analogy by by Cristobal of just how how different their offense is. You know how you know you look at from like week to week to week, from like Cal to Washington to Colorado. there's a lot of overlap in terms of what they're doing. There's there's plays that look similar. There's formations that look similar. There's a lot of stuff that is just similar, and it's easy – not easy, but it's easier to prepare for. But when you go against Washington State, it, it, it's a completely different animal. And I thought – I don't think Oregon ever really had an answer. I think if you take away a couple of interceptions – and frankly, the first interception, that should have been a touchdown pass. Um, for as good as Brandon uh, – our Arcanado was all game. He dropped a would-be touchdown pass that ends up in McKinley's hands. And credit to McKinley for being in the right spot, making the play, uh, and, and forcing the turnover. But that that could have been another touchdown pass. Uh, this, the interception by Holland was just a great play by Holland and not a great throw by Gordon. But I mean, for the most part, Oregon just really didn't have an answer <clears throat> against a really. I mean, against you know the the nation's most prolific pass offense. We should mention. But are we now? I mean. We talked, we had a lot of really nice things to say about this Oregon defense for a really long time, and they deserved all of it because right. they were so, so dominant for five straight games. You know, after they, after that Auburn game where they gave up, you know, the game winning touchdown in the last 10 seconds, they pitched, I mean, they were almost perfect for five straight games against Nevada, against Montana, against Stanford, against Cal, against Colorado. I mean, they looked, they looked like the best defense I'd seen Oregon put out there in a very, very long time, but in consecutive weeks, and Oregon did win both games, so we, we can't, I don't know how critical you can be, but you can definitely be critical because they gave up 31 points against Washington, got beat pretty good into the pass. They gave up 35 points against Washington State, got beat very badly via the pass. And I think the through line for me is the lack of quarterback pressure. Uh, one sack against Washington, one sack against Washington State, I think, Four quarterback hits this week. I think just one the previous week. 
Oregon had been averaging about, between sacks and quarterback hits, about 10 to 11 uh, contacts with the quarterback in its previous five games. And they've got, in the last two weeks, about three per game. So they're, they're down in that area. And I know Washington State's difficult because they get the ball out so quick, and that kind of negates what Oregon likes to do in terms of getting after the quarterback. But even in plays where it was a little slow developing, I thought they found time for Gordon. And Oregon just didn't. I don't know. That's to me the big thing, and uh, you've got to find out ways to manufacture some pressure. And I know Kayvon Thibodeau had two quarterback hurries, but you know he never got there. And and really, Oregon didn't get there besides a Mace Spoon sack. Uh, you know, I think that was shortly. Yeah, that was the one right before Javon Holland. I think uh, picked it off. But you've got to find ways to to get after the quarterback. And it's now two consecutive weeks where they haven't been able to do that. And I think, frankly, that's been pretty much the difference for me. Is it fair to say that they can't get pressure against Washington State and that's a concern? Because I agree with you. There is a pass rush concern here. Gus Cumberlander is not – his injury yeah. has has become bigger than I think many had expected it to be. <clears throat> um, but against the Cougars and uh, an offense that's designed to get the ball out quick. Sure. Is, is that fair to be critical, you think, that they didn't get pressure against Washington State? But – or on the flip side, I think you could also argue there were plenty of opportunities where Anthony Gordon held the ball for three, four, five seconds. Yeah, yeah that's kind of what I was was getting at earlier. Was like, yeah, yeah, there were certainly times where Washington State gets it out so fast, and you're and you you're you know basically on your heels at that point. I mean, they they they're so fast in the screen game. Gordon, I thought, was very quick to make decisions and get the ball out. But there were times, uh, in particular in that second half, where I felt. He held it, you know, three, four, five seconds, and Oregon still right. just couldn't get there. And, and and that's the concern is that these guys off the edge just haven't been able to quite get there recently. And, and I think you know they're going to have an opportunity against USC, which is a little banged up up front, and and, and they're and we know USC is going to want to throw the ball ball a ton in part because like their top half dozen running backs are injured or something. Um, but I, I just think that has to be a big concern. You know, Thibodeau had the two sacks against California. And, you know, won some conference honors, deservedly so. But the last two weeks, he's been pretty quiet. And I think, not not to put this all on the true freshman, because that's totally unfair, but I think they need to find something off the edge, whether it's Thibodeau, whether it's Lamar Winston, who also, uh, I think, at least forced two holds because he was good off the edge in the first half to, to, to hurt a drive for Washington State. But Or if it's DJ Johnson, or if it's just, you know, a mix of things. Um, they need to find ways to do it because... That was such a big part of why this defense was so successful, uh, you know, during that stretch. And I think it's a big part of why they've now in consecutive weeks given up, gosh, what, almost 800 yards of, or I guess almost 700 and something yards in, in passing yards and, and six touchdowns after, you know, I think they gave up like three touchdowns and, right. you know, no more than 200 yards, you know, in the previous five. Now, you also need to consider the opponent that they're playing. I think Washington, you know, they played their best game against yes. Oregon and lost. Washington State, Mike Leach even said it. If if they had played like they played against Oregon the rest of their season, they would not be in the predicament that they are of, of fighting off a losing season. Um, you know, and on top of that, they've played two of the four best quarterbacks, five best quarterbacks in the conference, and Anthony Gordon and Jacob Eason. 
Uh, Washington State's offense is obviously the most prolific in the conference. I mean, by far, they have a, a almost a thirty, you know, thirty-three yard average advantage over the next best, which is Arizona. Um, they average five hundred yards, five hundred twenty-one yards, almost five hundred twenty-two yards of total offense, and they're the only team in the Pac-12 that averages over five hundred yards of offense. So I think you do have to take into some consideration of who they've played. The caliber of quarterback that they've played. Um, but that being said, there is concern. And I think there needs to be a ton of concern for this weekend's game, uh, against the USC Trojans because while their air raid is going to be a little bit different, it's still from the same vein and they have on paper better players across the board on the offensive side of the football. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there's any way you, you could argue that U.S. that Washington State's offensive players and the guys that they use that they have players that are better than than Washington State's. I mean, maybe Anthony Gordon uh, is a better quarterback than than Caden Slovis. Um, I, I think you probably argue that and get away with that as a win. Um, but I don't think anyone's going to be saying that Slovis is a slouch. I mean, you you yeah. you pay attention to you know USC media and they are they're saying that. You know, JT Daniels could get Wally picked because Slovis is that good. Yeah, no, I, and I've I went and watched the game highlights against Colorado. He makes he makes some throws. And he's going to challenge them. You know, he's and it's funny because you see him. He looks like he's like 15. I mean, he, yes. he doesn't he he doesn't you know have that you know that that real big. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying. He's to not a Justin Herbert. Perfect. He's not a Jacob Eason. Yeah, yeah. He, he's not there yet. He, he doesn't look fully like matured yet. I think he's going to be somebody who builds. You know, he'll get bigger and stronger. But he's a lean, six foot two. Uh, you know, kind of soft face looking kid. Uh, I don't know if that's the right word either. But he's not like somebody who's yeah. He's not like a big, rugged, strong guy at this point. And I think he'll get there. But uh, I, I've been really impressed watching what he can do. And I think he will. Cha- I mean, with those receivers, like Oregon hasn't. You know, Washington, Washington State challenged Oregon defensively, but Oregon has not faced what they're going to face in terms of the, the wide receiver talent all season. And frankly, like, you'd probably be hard pressed to find half a dozen better receiver cores in the country than what USC yes. has. I mean, they are loaded at receiver. I mean, they're so good that a guy like Devin Williams transfers that some of these five-star recruits that they bring in aren't playing at all, basically. Um, they've got a one-two-three punch with Pittman, Vons, and St. Brown, that is just lethal, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a humongous challenge, you know. And this is three straight weeks now, you know, where they've gone, you know, they played that stretch where they were so good defensively against the pass. They didn't play very good quarterbacks. We all got really excited. That was probably on my fault for, you know, I'll take some credit for getting maybe a little overzealous about how good they were defensively against the pass. You know, posting how they're second in the country and opposing QBR when they hadn't really faced great quarterbacks. They've now face two very good pass offenses, and they're about to face a an offense in USC with with those receivers that is going to be a monumental challenge. I mean, that's going to be very very tough, and Oregon's going to have to find some some ways to stop it. I mean, they're, they're going to be you know you know one on one. It's going to be tough. It's going to be very very tough because these guys make all sorts of plays up and down the field, and I'm not sure how many fans have, have watched them, but. Uh, it's a it's a unique and, and and different challenge than I think what we've seen in previous weeks. Probably more closely familiar to what we saw against Washington, just in terms of what they're doing and how they do it. But uh, this is a different this is a different group at wide receiver, and it's going to be a big challenge. 
We're going to cover that challenge throughout the week. Uh, we're going to have Ryan Abraham of uscfootball.com, our USC site for 24-7 sports. He will be on the site or on the podcast, excuse me, uh, later on this week. Uh, we have your mailbag that we will be taking. Your questions, send those out to Eric and I. Uh, that show will be up later in the week. We also will have our final preview show, getting you ready for this football game before Eric and I head down to the Los Angeles area. Uh, sit in traffic for a couple days and then cover a football game and then sit in traffic for a couple days and come home. Uh, so lots, lots to discuss of this Oregon football team. They're seven and one. And look, I, I did the numbers while we were podcasting this, Eric. Mario Cristobal is 10 and two in his last 12 games at Oregon. Um, Oregon is on a run right now and there's there's not a better time to to jump in on this season if you haven't gone all in yet and and bought into this football team now is the time to do it because you're going into a stretch run in November and the reality is you're seventh in the AP you're eighth in the coaches poll you have a clear path to the Rose Bowl and the door is open for a run to the college football playoff. Yeah, and we should we should maybe take a second on the college football playoff thing because Oregon now at seven in the AP poll, eight in the coaches poll. Like they're they're right in the right in the middle of it, you know. And this weekend was huge for them with all the teams losing around them. So I, I think if Oregon wins out, I think if Utah wins out, and maybe even if Utah doesn't win out, but if Oregon beats Utah in a conference championship game, it's going to be Oregon's going to have a pretty good resume. Um, it, it might, it's not going to be a resume that probably puts them any higher than that. Like, I think their ceiling would be the fourth seed, right? I, I don't right. think they get any higher than that. It would take total chaos for something higher than that. Yeah, but but they might, you know, and, and we don't know who that number one seed is. It's that weird thing here where there's a lot of discussion about whether it's Alabama, whether it's LSU, whether it maybe it's Ohio State. Clemson may, is also obviously deserving to be in there. They're also unbeaten and, and the defending champions, but um Oregon would be the four seed. I don't think there's any way they'd move around it unless, like you said, there's just complete and utter chaos, which could that, happen. Look, this past weekend there was. I mean, yeah. I mean, how many? I can't remember what it was. I, I, I'm mad at myself because I said this uh, on the podcast last week, but there were a number of top 25 teams that lost football games last year, uh, last week. Uh, it, it, I'm just running through the list right now and. What was it? It was seven top 25 teams last week lost football games. Uh, and of the, of the teams in the top 10, there were two. Auburn at number nine. Uh, and, and then you also saw Oklahoma at number five. And so chaos is happening. You know, as the season gets deeper in, injuries start happening. Teams, you know, have to deal with that and, and the grind of, you know, these aren't professional football players. They're having to go to school. They're younger kids. You know, stuff's going to happen. And then just pure matchups. Like this weekend, Georgia plays Florida. Lo- the losers eliminated from the college football playoff. You know, yeah. Utah has to go to Washington this weekend. We've also got SMU who's undefeated. They have to go on the road, uh, and, and play Memphis. Uh, and that's just, that's just this week. And you, so you've got the opportunity where, in the next couple of weeks, there's gonna be games. I mean, in, in two weeks, Oregon's bye week. LSU, Alabama, one versus two. Uh, you know, that game's gonna play out and, you know, maybe it, one of those teams loses and, and then loses again. I don't think that's really out of the realm of possibility. You know, Penn State has to travel to Minnesota in two weeks. 
you know, both those teams are, are undefeated and, you know, I, I think Minnesota is going to tail, is going to fall off the rails here a little bit because of the teams that they have to play, but Penn State could, you know, suffer their first loss or, or maybe even their second. And then in a couple of weeks, you've got Penn State and Ohio State. Uh, you, you've got, I'm just looking at the schedules down the, down the road and, you know, there's going to be chaos that, that comes and it's up, up to Oregon to basically survive in advance and see where they're at when they lift their heads up. If they win the Pac-12 North and then they win the Pac-12 championship game at 12 and 1, how many teams ahead of them have lost? Yeah, maybe I'm just starting to get too optimistic here, but, and Oregon has a lot to do and I think, I really yeah, do think this game at USC is going to be a, a really big challenge. I don't think anyone should overlook that. I know USC had a hard time beating Colorado. Um, I know they're really banged up, but they've been extremely good at home. This is the only team that's beaten Utah. And Utah's just like, if you go look at what Utah's done to other teams in the Pac-12, like they've just been just beating teams down all season. And USC at the Coliseum, that's the only loss Utah has in the season. Um, but my, but I, I really, I'm really starting to think that if Oregon wins out, and maybe I'm just too optimistic here, but I really am starting to think if Oregon wins out and they win the Pac-12 championship game, that they're going to be one of those four teams. And, and, and again, maybe that's too optimistic. Maybe I'm too glass half full this week, but, uh, there just feels like there's some momentum with Oregon right now. And, and it feels like things are breaking their way. I mean, how many things have had to break their way in terms of the Pac-12 North setting up the way it has with Washington losing those two games with, Washington State being what they've been, with Cal, how they've fallen apart, with Stanford being so unpredictable. And then you look at what happened this last weekend nationally and all the teams that nobody, you know, people didn't expect Oklahoma to be challenged like that. People didn't really think Notre Dame was going to lose to Michigan. Uh, you know, these kind of games were kind of unexpected, and, and Oregon finds itself in a pretty good spot. So I don't know. Maybe, I just feel like there's kind of a bit of a team of destiny kind of vibe here that they're going to that they're going to make a run at this, and if they can win out – They'll have a chance to, to play for it all. And I don't, this is another debate we've seen on the message board and maybe we should have it really short here, Matt. But would you prefer if you're, if you're just looking at like Oregon developing and there's, there's a thread on the site uh, that I, I suggest anyone looks at just of, is it better for Oregon to play in the college football playoff and maybe get blown out or to go win a Rose Bowl? Where do you fall on that? It's funny. I, I talked on this podcast. I talked with Mike Gam and Ryan Leaf on. The Pac-12's networks show on Cyrus XM Radio this morning about that. Um, I am in the belief that it would probably be better for the program if they went to the Rose Bowl and won and found themselves inside the top six or seven uh, in the final polls than being that fourth team and going to play Ohio State, let's just say. Uh, and, and losing by three scores and dropping to 11th or 12th or 13th, um, in the top 25 and the way they played. And, you know, the, look at, I, I, I point to Washington a couple of years ago. You know, they, they made the college football playoff. No one was really like, yeah, congrats. You made it. You're going to go get killed now. And they went and got killed and congrats, congrats on your death. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but at the same time, who's to say that this team can't go and in a one game playoff pull off the upset, right? Like they've got an elite offensive line. They've got an elite defense. They've got a senior quarterback that's going to be in the NFL. I mean, who's to say they can't go out and win a football game like that? Like, and that's where I, I get stuck is like I lean towards the Rose Bowl, but at the same time, like, 
I, I don't know. I, I think my my idea will change after this weekend against USC, after ASU in a couple weeks, and then if they play Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, and maybe they go in those games and, and they dominate and they play well, and it's like, yeah, let's see, let's really see if this team is a top four team in the country, or if it's you know they win and but it's a struggle and it's. It's it's hard pickings, and they get lucky and get a good break to fall their way or, or something like that. Then it's – yeah, I, I think a win in the Rose Bowl still carries a lot of weight. The top 20 – you know, a top seven finish in the in the country is still a big deal. Uh, another Rose Bowl win is huge. Uh, and, and, you know, this staff and their recruiting prowess could, could really elevate the program with that. But on the flip side, you get to the playoff. That's the second time you've made the playoff with two different coaches – Third time you've been in that playoff national championship discussion uh, with three different coaches. And it kind of would vindicate that, hey, you can – it doesn't matter what system you run out of Oregon, you can be successful because the Chip Kelly-Helfrich system and those teams that competed for a national championship are completely different than Mario Cristobal's team and – if they got to the college football playoff, you could say, yeah, they competed for a national championship and they did it two different ways. Here's kind of where I land really quick and then I know we'll wrap it up. Uh, I think our hesitation in saying we want, it sounds like some of your hesitation is like, we just don't know how they'd compete on that big of a stage against some of these premier programs. I want to see them play in that game just for that reason. I just want, I want to, I want the measuring stick game. And, and even if that ends up being a game where they just get their butt kicks, at least we know that. At least we can, at least we can honestly say, okay, the best team in the Pac-12 went against the best team in the ACC or the SEC or the Big Ten or whatever conference it is. And they gave it their best shot and they got blasted. And okay, maybe the Pac-12, Pac-12 is not quite there yet. But I, I, I still am not completely certain that Oregon can't go out and at least be competitive. I mean, at least hang with them. I mean, LSU beat Auburn by three points and Oregon lost to Auburn on a last second touchdown. Uh, you can't tell me that Oregon isn't at least in the same conversation as LSU. Maybe that's just, the difference in matchups and maybe Oregon does things that I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is. And maybe it's not fair to, to compare teams in that manner, but I think we've been winning for quite some time, basically since Oregon lost in 2014 um, to see what Oregon, to see where Oregon's at and to see where the PAC 12 is at. I know Washington went out and got blasted pretty good, but I'd like, I'd like to just at least go out and be at least be able to say, Hey, people think the PAC 12 can't compete. Guess what? They're wrong. Or guess what? Maybe they're right right now, and that's that's what something that needs to change. But I'd like to at least have an idea of where where Oregon's at in comp- in competing, because who knows? Maybe they're maybe they're more cut out for this than than some people think. Certainly, plenty to watch and enjoy the rest of this of this season. Uh, I'm excited to see where that goes. Uh, we're going to cover this USC Oregon game as as well as we have every other game so far this season. I think. Our coverage speaks for itself there. Uh, I hope you guys go to duckterritory.com and read it. Uh, read our coverage this week. Join the discussion. Continue to listen to the podcast. And for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Brame, you have been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos.